0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro.
1: We are going to talk about Parsha Miketz today, um, and Rabbi Shapiro is going to kick us off but if people are interested in following along i've been told that we don't we sometimes don't say the chapter and verse so i'm going to say chapter and verse um but we're starting with chapter 42 of genesis verse 22 um so if people are are listening later on or just want to look in your own chumash those are the verses that we'll be looking at um 22 through 24 of chapter 42 and i will kick it over to rabbi Shabiro. hey
2: rabbi Shots. Um, Yeah. Remember, remember when we tried having class on the roof with the zoom bot? I was just thinking about that. Remember when we tried that? That was Um, fun. mm -hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: Also, Susan Nemitz was just in my office took a suit jacket out of my closet put it on and left without explaining herself. So it's
1: freezing. That's why I'm also in. let's
2: let's see if we get some clarity on why that Mm happens. Great. The world is full of mystery and wonder. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, Shabbat Shalom. Happy Hanukkah. Rabbi Shatz, you didn't say happy Hanukkah.
1: That, that is true. I did happy not. Happy
2: Hanukkah. Do you know what I have, Rabbi Shatz? A Hanukkah? <laughs> oh,
1: good. Okay, we already started late, so I think we need to go.
2: Hanukkah balloon. I actually have a lot of them. fine i'm in the holiday spirit at least aren't you yes okay um we are in the middle of the joseph story unfortunately we are starting after the part where pharaoh uh uh shares his dreams which means i will not be doing my knockoff elvis version
1: you know that we're looking at a pdf that says why is it important to prevent
2: suicide nope shared the wrong thing Right. I mean that is important. It
1: is important. It's also not Torah. But I that's not that. the Parsha. Okay, very good. Yeah.
2: I appreciate that.
1: Yeah.
2: That's particularly <laughs> incongruous with talking about the Elvis song from the Android rather musical. Well, we'll move into the Parsha. Joseph's in Egypt, he's running the show. Uh back home. Things are not so great is how I'm going to summarize things leading up to chapter 42. Uh, Jacob sees that there's food in Egypt. Little does he know it's because of his beloved son. And he tells everybody else, hey, uh, y'all should get on down there. Um, Benjamin stays back, uh, reading, sort of scanning through chapter 42. Ten of Joseph's brothers, interesting, like they're not even named, right? They're still just Joseph's brothers um, go down there. Uh, Benjamin was not sent, since uh, Jacob is f- afraid something may befall him. Um, and we know that this is this is a really big famine, right? This isn't just something that is happening to this family. It's a, it's a really extensive famine, per Pharaoh's dreams. The seven beautiful years of corner. Huh. You got the idea. Uh, Joseph was the vizier. It's been a while. I haven't met a vizier in some time. His brothers come and bow before him. And here we start hearing about sort of Joseph's inner process, right? He recognizes them, um, but acts like a stranger to them, which, which is just a really uh, interesting way um, of, of framing it, right? Vayakirem, right? He recognized them. Vayit, not care, but but he sort of uh, like withheld himself from them. He made it seem as if he didn't recognize them. And we hear that again uh, in verse eight. Um, and Joseph says, right, right and there, there's so much going on here psychologically, like it's it's tough for me to just skip ahead to the verses that we're focusing on. But it's so interesting, the pivot that you see in verse nine, right? He remembers the dreams that he had, and he doesn't immediately say, I was right. And he certainly doesn't say, hey, guys, so great to see ya." um he puts the pressure on right he really sort of turns the screws and he says you are you are spies right he's he he puts them in a position where um they're going to sort of have to have to prove themselves um they go back and forth we are not spies yes you are um and he sort of gets then in verse 13 um to hearing something about where they're coming from, we, your servants, were twelve brothers, right? So yes. Joseph sees here that he's he's sort of still in the group, interestingly, um, but one is no more. Um, Joseph not letting things go. You'll be put to the test. You have to bring Benjamin as well, um, and he keeps them confined. Um, interesting. I'll uh, I'll I was gonna only bring this up in our verses, but I'll say here in verse in verse. Uh, Um, uh, 17 you hear about this confinement um, that of course mirrors what was happening to Joseph right before he ascends to power Um, but finally Joseph brings them out on the third day if you are honest men one of you will stay back while the rest of you go you can bring the food back but you have to bring back the youngest brother like basically um, one of them will sort of be held uh, in in uh in prison escrow uh while while you go and get the other guy and at least in the meantime um you you uh you have to bring benjamin and so here we are verse 22 23 24 that's what we're focusing on this morning um and each one of them said to the other we are guilty for our brother Asher ra'inu tsarat nafsho, that we saw the tsaros, as is how I translate Tsarat, We saw saw the the trouble of his of his soul, of his spirit. The heat, the uh, heat Khaneno elenu velo shamanu. We didn't listen to him as he pleaded with us. Or So if you know Tachanun from liturgy, right? As he was pleading to us, we didn't hear him. Al ken ba'a elenu ha hazot. And sure enough, this tzarah, this, this trouble, um, has sort of been lingering, and now it's coming back to us. The famous uh, uh, dictum, what goes around comes around. It's not just a Justin Timberlake song. It's a, it's, a, it's a JT song. You don't know that song, Rabbi Shots? Oh, goes, goes around, goes around. Oh, I'm so glad you just started singing
1: that.
2: <laughs> it's Hanukkah. That's my Hanukkah gift to you, Rabbi Shots. I'll do a whole JT mashup. no. Ayan Reuven, Tom, and Reuven, uh, Reuven responded to them. Oh, that was that was verse twenty-one. I'm sorry. I, I oh, I said mm, I was no, no, re- no. It,
1: it, you're you're okay. You're okay. I think it just looked, the numbers look funny, I think.
2: Yeah, they look funny. I wasn't necessarily going to talk about that verse, but it was interesting. We got we got some good stuff along the way, and I sang a Justin Timberlake song. So it's all good. <laughs> okay. Now we're actually on verse 22, right? Yeah, that's actually yeah. verse 22. Good. Reuven said to them, Great. Hello, amarti al-techetu vayelet, velo shmatem. Reuven said to them, hey, guys, I told you so. Um, I said not to commit this sin on the boy. Interesting that, that, that noun is being used here. And you didn't listen to me. And now it's, it's, it's a funky phrase, right? Now, behold, his blood is, the, the translation says now comes the reckoning for his blood. You, you know, the word drosh, right? Which means like seeking out behold, now, um, sort of like the blood that was spilled is like seeking, is is being sought out. Sort of again, this idea of this Sarah has come upon us. Verse twenty three: lo uh, yadu ki shomea Yosef, and they didn't know Joseph was listening. Ki hamelitz because translated here as there was an interpreter. Um, between them, so it's just this fascinating idea, right? They're they're talking to each other, thinking Joseph doesn't understand them. Interesting that the interpreter wouldn't be tra- in you know translating this part, um, but Joseph is actually listening, and I'll, I'll point out. Sort of the the recurrence of the word shomea here, right? You didn't listen to me then, and here Joseph is shomea ing. And of course, right? There's a variety of words for what listening can be, and this word of this idea of shomea it means like really, really listening. See also shema Yisrael, like a, a deep listening. um And I'll also point out, because I love doing so, melech only time in the Torah it appears appears no other times, um, which is just. Very interesting for a word that means to interpret or to translate is a word that because it only shows up once, it's actually quite difficult to interpret or translate. Okay, now actually verse 24, I'm going to say one and a half things and then Rabbi shots is going to take Kushi out. Joseph turned from them and he, and he cried. He, came, he returned to them. And he spoke to them. <inaudible> he took Shimon from them. <inaudible> and he um, had him bound before their eyes. Um, uh-huh. I'll point out um, just just an interesting juxtaposition, right? We've been talking about hearing, and now there's a point where he's he's doing this right before their eyes. That the text makes a point to say this is something that happened right in front of them. Shimon being taken into captivity. And also, this idea of vaya asar, of being held captive, is a relatively um, unusual verb. It doesn't happen all that often. And it was applied directly to Joseph when he was um, being held captive. And now Susan Nemitz is back and she's bringing back my suit jacket. Susan, why did you have my suit jacket?
1: Okay, so we're going to. We're going to do some
2: cushy oats. Wait, wait, wait. I didn't get to say, I was going to say one more thing. Oh,
1: well, then continue. this is about
2: hypothetically that. about uh, mental health and spiritual growth, which I haven't explicitly referenced. Bechabut. Maybe I'll do that. Um, or I could sing another Justin Timberlake song. No,
1: no. Trying to move you along. That was the Great. whole
2: point. Very good. Um, the idea of how um, re- how revenge is taken, right? That That it seems like even as Joseph is hearing, right? I, I was trying to help out that Joseph is still lingering this with, with this idea, it seems to me, of, um, right? He's toying with them, he's playing with them, even as he's having this big emotional reaction. We hear about him crying, um, but still, he's, he's really not letting things go. And that's a theme throughout the Joseph story, but for me, it's just such an interesting juxtaposition, particularly with... He can really hear them, right? We're told that he hears them. This, this idea of shomea, he hears what they're saying and yet um, he's still not ready to let things go. And so I think it it is a rich and challenging and important question to think about when is it time to let things go? Um, how do you really listen? What does it mean to really um, hear things unfold in front of you? I, I, I think there's a lot there. I'll leave it at that.
1: All right. Okay, so if you'll scroll back up to the verses we're looking at, I will take some Kushiot. All right, Renee, go ahead.
3: So first of all, the the emo- I was thinking also about the emotional part and the emotional part with uh, his his wi- weeping weeping. So he is letting himself uh, letting his emotions come to terms, but we don't really know whether he's is he weeping out of joy at sea- or is he weeping out of sadness. Mm. Or both.
1: Yeah, beautiful. We don't know which, which emotion he's trying to show, but we see that he's showing emotion. Yeah. Denise?
0: Um, I'm not sure if this is a Kushia exactly. Um, but just kind of thinking about what Rabbi Shapiro was saying, and I think about this storyline a lot. Um, I guess just in my own life because of, you know, lots of people having said, oh, you should just let that go, you right. know, when they were clearly not on a path of correcting themselves at all, but it would have been very convenient for them for me to let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, you know, it, even the, the verse that Rabbi Shapiro read in the beginning that he didn't mean to read or whatever, where it says he recognized them, but he didn't, say anything. or But in Hebrew, it doesn't say but. It says and. It says and he recognized them and he didn't acknowledge it or whatever. It's because he saw who they were mm-hmm. and he didn't have any information or evidence that they were going to be different. And okay, maybe when people are hungry or or really sad, remembering something in that moment, they have like a pang, you know, but that doesn't mean that they had a lasting change. And even when we learn about chava. Okay. You know, there's like, there's stages of what you, what has to happen to earn forgiveness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You don't just like, Oh wow, you cried. Okay. Well then (laughs) everything's okay. You know, like they have to show that they're not going to do that thing again. So, um, I don't think he was harsh at all. I think he was exactly right. And self-protective. Right. Right.
1: Great. Though though not a cushia, definitely uh, a, a matter to consider uh, very strongly and a, a very insightful point. Uh, so thank you for thank you for sharing that. And I, I think that is that is that is a very strong read of what is happening here. So um I don't know what Rabbi Shapiro's take on that is based on his mental health um angle, but I'm sure he will share momentarily. Uh Elon and then Joanne and then Marlise.
4: So, firstly, I want to date myself because when Rabbi Shapiro said it's a JT song, I was like, "That's not a James Taylor song." So, um,
1: awesome! That is great.
4: It was definitely uh, that is my JT reference, um, and, and
1: the better of the JT references, <laughs> to be fair. So that's that's okay.
4: Secondly, uh, it's it's interesting to me, and I'm curious as to what the rabbis say about this. That in verse 22 they're talking about the implications of what they did is being distressed. Now, this may be a translation issue. I don't know. Distress to me is a psychological, um, is a psychological implication, right? Somebody was distressed, that's psychological. And then uh, yet in, in 23, when Reuben is talking he says now comes the reckoning and to me reckoning it's not a psychological thing it could be but it's more likely a, an actual occurrence right okay uh this is your day of rec- reckoning you will suffer the punishment for this yeah. so i'm um, i'm curious whether that was done purposely to show that there is both a a practical implication and a psychological implication or uh not necessarily the case right
1: I, yeah, I think from the beginning of the Joseph story, we have both of those implications happening all the time, right? The pit, I think, itself is actually a, is both of those types of implication, even though it might not be written out in the Torah as, um, as clearly as what you're pointing to here. Um, but I, I, I mean, I don't know if it was. If it was intentionally put in the Torah that way, maybe Rabbi Shapiro found commentaries on this, um, that implied both. But I, I think for sure you are picking up on a trope of this story that we see many times over and that is coming out very strongly in this particular moment because it takes us back to the beginning of the story where that first happened. Um, so I think it's a, it's a very, it's a very powerful point. Um, I don't know if I'm going to let Rabbi Shapiro talk at the end. I'm going to, I'll get, I'll get to, I'll get to everybody else's questions and then I'll go back to Rabbi Shapiro, but I'm sure he'll have something to say on that uh, on that point as well. Okay, Joanna and then Marlies.
3: There's um, in these verses a very explicit recognition by the brothers that they had done wrong in the past, uh-huh. and then we get to the the verse where Joseph cries. And yeah. there's a piece of me that wanna real that wants to really explore what that crying was about. What right. precisely seeing his brothers caused him to cry. Yeah. And then you get that very interesting word, um, Vayashov, because in addition to meaning that he physically turned to him, that word is also the root of teshuva. So you wonder, because Joseph also has what to do teshuvah for. Yeah. Um he was not necessarily so nice to his brothers back in the day. And so yeah. I sort of wonder what's happening in that moment on Joseph's part when he's crying. Is there any recognition on his part for what he had done and that this is a moment of chuva and reconciling to a moment at least of chuva and reconciliation.
1: Yeah, beautiful. And it's interesting they use the word Vaisov vayas, and then va'yashov, right? That there is actually uh, though they don't they, though they don't both mean turning. They definitely both mean directionally not present, right? One is a physical turning away, and the other one is a return back to something. So you were away, and now you're coming back. So it is interesting that it seems like either time was taken or physical movement away was, um, was needed. Uh, And so that's a very, a very interesting point. And one that I think goes back also works very nicely with what Elon was pointing out, which is, what, what is the implication here of the different dimensions of what's going on, right? You're bringing in Joseph as a character dealing with those implications as well. Um, but what does it mean that there are kind of different dimensions to what is happening to all of the brothers in this moment of recognition? Um, and, uh, and how are they all dealing with, <laughs> with that understanding in their minds based on the characters that they've played and, and the things that they have done as those characters? Uh, Marlise
5: and or Gary. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Um, so I, I just note in in reading that verse where Reuben speaks, just kind of this tone of you know reprimand and blame that just so often comes comes up in times of stress and families yeah. so that yeah. can happen. And I guess I um, I guess I missed in the verses leading up to that how it is that he makes the connection. Their predicament with what what they did to Joseph,
1: the wrecking. um
5: Yeah,
2: meaning meaning why why is he automatically oh, it is that they saying yeah. right because they don't they don't know it's Joseph right Joseph knows it's them we know Joseph oh, knows them but they don't know it's Joseph so the fact that here Reuben is uh, and and everyone right the fact that everyone automatically is seeing. Oh, decades later, the fact that things aren't going our way here, that's because of what we did to Joseph is a very interesting thing. Is that Marlise? Am I, am I, am I picking up what you're putting? Yeah. There? And
5: I wasn't sure if I missed something in, in the verses or it's just, that's, 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 this is this thing that's been hanging over their heads all this time. And that's what they immediately
2: think of blatant guilt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, for sure. I, 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 I don't think you're missing anything, and in fact, I think you're spot on. Is is my sense of it too that that the fact that they are here saying, oh, here we go," right? This now now it's now it's coming to get us. Um, I think shows exactly what you're saying that, and and I think.
4: But, there, you know. but there's no notification that there's this guilt was ever. This is the first time this guilt has, has happened, except that after they after the, they they thought they killed him, you know. Before before his uh, before he was uh, captured into Egypt, you know, by in, in, enslaved.
2: Mean, meaning that we haven't seen that guilt surface before. Right. We're, just, we're just seeing it here. Right. Yeah, I think that's accurate. From what I mean, Rabbi Shatz will tell me I'm wrong when I'm wrong. We know that, but but I don't I, I don't necessarily. I can't recall any moment where we've seen that guilt lay there. Certainly not in this direct of a way. Right, Rabbi yeah. Shatz
1: yeah i think that's part of the problem right? I think right that's part of the sibling issue that happens throughout this whole story is that no one's taking blame for anything and similar to what a few of you have now said like joseph isn't blameless right joseph also provoked his siblings in a way in which he does have to do chuva and he should be sorry they shouldn't have thrown him in a pit but there probably was something Something before that that could have been done um, that would allow that would have allowed the story to go in a different direction. there wouldn't have been as much material for a very good musical, but um, it could have gone in a different direction and and, uh, and and that is all because of the fact that everybody was kind of dealing with their own stuff and not communicating with one another, which is a big problem with siblings and Genesis in general <laughs> of yeah. not communicating.
2: Well, but it, it also goes back, I think, to Denise's question in terms of, you know, uh, great. Like, I have a, I have a lot to say. It's, it's good Rabbi Schatz wasn't letting me talk because we would have only made it through like one or two people. I have a lot to say in response to what folks were saying. I
1: know my audience well.
2: Am I the audience?
1: Well, you're part of the audience,
2: yeah. Oh. Am I listening to a podcast? <laughs> What's happening right now? Um in in terms of what motivates the asking for forgiveness right they're under duress right this isn't like a totally freely volunteered oh we've really been been thinking this over um and we feel bad about this right they're under duress the the flip side to that is under duress is better than nothing right it's it's still better to apologize right thinking about at home with my kids, there are times when it's like, you really need to apologize to your brother. No, right? It's still better to say you're sorry under duress than to not say you're sorry, I think, right? Um, we don't necessarily see what they've learned here. And, and, and I think the word that has been surfacing, chuva, which of course is more than just an apology. It's seeing what you've done wrong, figuring out why it happened, and then finding a way not to not to do it again um and the the point joanna i think it was yours in terms of that that last verse we were exploring and and of course yes like the the root of chuva and Vayashov. there yes it's it's definitely the same root because and it and it is you know you can think about chuva also as like a, a a turning right a turning towards something which is then also interesting um by Sovev. um i don't think this is joseph making sure, right i don't see that certainly not happening here um certainly not happening yet i think there is there's plenty of room to explore whether he does at all at any point in the narrative really um and we see that well, well whatever we that, that that's later on in the story um but i i do think it's an interesting um question i'll i'll i want to layer one more i i cut off Rabbi shots i just want to layer one more piece in which is that even like similar to if if i am walking around feeling guilty about something and then there's something that happens that might be connected to that that guilt is much more likely to surface right it's much more likely to to pop up it's also interesting because sometimes when you're feeling guilty, sometimes when I'm I'll speak in I statements, sometimes when I'm feeling guilty, I might try to downplay it. And that's exactly what Ruven does, right? Because yes, it's true. The, the, I think the time Humash, by the way, just a commentary in here, let's let's everybody off the hook. Um, um time Humash. Come on, I was like flipping through it um earlier and it's very generous with everyone. Um because it says on the comment of verse twenty-two, Reuben and Ward, his brothers, shed no blood. Yes, that's true. He did say to his brothers, "Shed no blood," and he didn't take a stand and say, "Don't do anything bad to him." In fact, he said, "Shed no blood." Cast him into that pit, which is not exactly what brother of the year material here, right? So Reuben's coming in and saying, "I told you guys, shed no blood." That's true, Ruven. That is part of what you said. You also said some other stuff that wasn't so great. Um, so, so I just think it's interesting to note sort of the different ways in which, and for us to think about, right? When we feel guilty about something, how, how does that show up? Do we minimize? Do we take ownership? Do we apologize? Be, because guilt is a powerful emotion. That, that's powerful stuff. Um, and it can show up in some really, really interesting ways. Yeah. Denise. Before
1: wait, before Denise, oh, because yeah. I just want to say one thing oh, yeah. from mm-hmm. when you cut me off earlier. Um, the, the end of verse, I thought you knew your audience. I do. <laughs> um the end of verse 24 here is just continuing this cycle, right? It's not like, oh, the brothers get off the hook, because I think Marlies, I was just looking around just to make sure that that we're all on the same page. This is not where Joseph says, hi guys, it's me. That's in next week's Parsha. This is just where Joseph knows that these are his brothers. He's come to understand that. They still don't know that it's him and he's playing a game. He's trying to get them to do things and hurting them in a lot of ways to kind of teach them a lesson, which those of us who teach know that's not how you teach. You don't teach a lesson it's by not? getting someone to feel the way that you felt. Ah. But the end of this verse here just shows that Joseph is continuing on this this game, this hurt that he's doing, because they take Shimon away. So, yeah, they threw Joseph into a pit. Yeah, next week they're going to also take Benjamin, or at least accuse Benjamin But for now, they're also taking Shimon. He hasn't done anything wrong, but Joseph is trying to teach them a lesson. So when we're talking about this kind of cyclical um, behavior here in terms of how the brothers are treating one another, it's fine that Joseph has emotion around all of this, but ultimately he's still doing something to hurt his siblings at the very end of that same verse. So no one is blameless here. Everyone is kind of, unfortunately playing this very hurtful game until they, res- until they resolve it all in next week's Parsha. Come back for next week.
0: Okay, Denise. It's just kind of like interesting, almost like if we were reading a book or watching a movie, when Reuven says that, because if they had shed blood, like that would be it. You know, he'd be gone. That's it. But just throwing him into the pit and then he was sold and all those crazy things that happen is why they're here. Right. Well, Right. So like like that action planted the seeds for him ending up in that position. So, you know, like sometimes when characters say things and they don't realize the import of what they're saying, like, yeah, it, it feels like that kind of a moment.
1: Totally. Yeah. That's that's a very good point. Um,
2: I wanted to also trace back to to what. To the question Elon was asking about this idea of, of practical versus psychological, Safari is being weird this morning. It's saying verse twenty-two is verse twenty-one, and and it's like lined up weird. So so the end of what it seems like is verse twenty, whatever. It's oh, it's much better now. Oh, there we go. Here, I'll just I'll just hold on. What's happening? Let me make sure I share the right thing. Is that the right thing? Very good. Okay. So here. Um, the distress coming upon us, that's actually the end of verse 21, and the reckoning for his blood is the end of verse 22, just, just for the sake of clarity, if folks are looking on at home to make sure people know what we're talking about. I think, you know, the idea of distress versus reckoning is an interesting one. I mean, in the Hebrew, it's Sarah versus Damo Hine Nidrash, right? Either it's this this service is coming upon us as opposed to the blood is seeking us out right? One, one of which sounds much more aggressive uh, than the other. And it is interesting going back to this idea of what the brothers are saying versus what Reuven is saying. Um, you know, verse 21, it's like they're each saying it to the other. So we, we don't, there's sort of like a, a collective murmur among the brothers who are saying this. And Reuven, the one who, on the one hand, yes, he made sure they wouldn't kill him. On the other hand, the one who had them throw him into a pit, is the one who is framing it more aggressively in terms of, of this, of this reckoning. So is it right? So I think you can slice that a couple of different ways in terms of kind of psychoanalyzing why, who is saying what, Um, but certainly an interesting question through the lens of like, how, how do guilt and shame linger? When do they bubble up? um what's what's the guilt that we feel and how do we navigate that in healthy ways or not um you know i think i think there's a lot of interesting pieces there yes karen let's get an actual mental health professional to in on this (laughs) you are muted though because it's still zoom and we have to make sure to say that at least once a class
6: um i don't think there were any shrinks around during this time definitely not not and so, all, all the reactions are very raw and real. You know, you're going to throw me a watch. You know, I'm going to get back at you. Uh, perfectly reasonable. Perfectly reasonable. And it takes a while after you do all this shitty stuff, excuse me, to realize that <clears throat> to repair a relationship means you've got to get through the stony part and you have to say, I want to relate to a person. I want this thing that sticks out of the way. So you got to get to that point, and how you get to that point is uh, different for a lot of different for people. If you you know if you don't realize that, if you don't think this relationship is important to me, and I'm there's this stone that is standing a wall between us, and I want to get rid of it. If you don't think that way, it's not going to happen. So they have to get to a point where I'm your brother, you're the man-a-da-da-da, and that's going to come next week. Yeah,
2: right? yeah, yeah. And, and I'll also add to that. I mean, you're, yes, yes to all of that. And before there can be repair, there at least needs to be acknowledgement that exactly. there was wrongdoing, right? And exactly. to Gary's point, we haven't seen that at all yet. So the, right. the surfacing of the pain and and the recognition that there was harm done. <laughs> is the prerequisite for any kind of healing, right? So right. On, on the one hand, right, you might say, guys, what's, what's taking you so long to recognize that there was some really messed up stuff that happened here.
6: Right.
2: On the other hand, at least it's it's getting surfaced here. And interestingly, per, per Rabbi Schatz, although I think I am more sympathetic to Joseph than Rabbi Schatz is um, based on what she's saying. And she's right in so far as at least the brothers here are starting to recognize that they've done some gnarly stuff. I think Rashi said gnarly stuff. I think that's old French. Um, Joseph is not yet recognizing his role in the dynamic um, at all. At least there's something, right, from the brothers. It's in ownership of some pretty heinous stuff. And, you know, I like to believe that there can be forgiveness for that. I hope, right? Yeah. Well, once you own oh, up, up
6: to something, once you own up to something, right. it's the beginning.
2: Right. Right.
6: Exactly.
4: As opposed to blaming the other. Right. Well. Elon. So it's 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 not. I agree that they are owning up to what they did, but what's not clear to me and the confusion in the two lines is are they owning up to what they did because they feel guilty and badly about it and they realize, oh, we did something wrong and they're feeling the distress? Or is it the day of reckoning? Is it the practical implications? where We did this, now we're screwed, right? So, you know, I think we would all, the kinder interpretation is they feel badly about it and they have some guilt, but it's not clear to me because of distress versus reckoning that that's actually what the Torah is saying. Yeah, I, th- I think there is ambiguity there,
2: right? For for sure. I'm just I'm just saying at the very least they're naming it, right? We don't know quite why they're naming it or what's motivating it, but they aren't naming it. Well, mo- what's, motiv- it goes, right? what's
1: motivating it is that they're about to be uh, affected by it. Right, they're they are motivated to say I'm sorry because they know that if they don't say they're sorry or don't don't um I guess I'm not really saying they're sorry, don't acknowledge that which was going on, something worse could even happen. So well,
2: maybe I mean uh, maybe I mean they're saying that this is them like processing it out, right? They've had the exchange with Yosef, and now this is sort of like the. This is like the the processing session after they've made the formal ask, because again, they think Joseph can't hear this. It's definitely not an apology. Right. They're just like, wait a minute. What's what's going on here? Right. This is them kind of like talking it out. You know, I think that's I think that's different. Right.
1: Right. Right. But I. Yes. But I guess what I'm saying is that if you if you're a kid and you know that if you say, sorry, you're going to be able to leave the classroom and go play recess. You might have a very quicker way of getting to saying, oh, I recognize what I did. Then if the teacher says, you're still going to stay in the classroom for all of recess, but I need you to tell me at some point what you did wrong. That kid might take the 15 minutes or 20 minutes to just sit there and be mad and throw a tantrum. As opposed to knowing that if you get to that place faster, you could get you could get that which you need. Now, that's not what's happening here. The brothers don't know that they're going to get something that they – well, I guess they do. They get grain. But they don't know that, that something good could happen with this acknowledgement. But the flip side, I think, is what they fear, is that if there's not – if they do not acknowledge it, then in fact, there could be something bad – Worse, or what happened before could then happen to them again. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Okay, Denise.
0: So I I, I feel like um like in the example with the kids, um the kid who just says sorry because he wants to go to recess is you know it doesn't mean he actually feels it or understands or cares exactly right correct right so so there's that part but also like maybe this is because the brothers are for the first time in a position where someone has power over them. Mm. And so then they're recognizing, uh-oh, when we had power over someone, we didn't really use it that well. What if that comes around?
5: Mm-hmm. And like
0: that word of vice sove of like, you know, coming back around, spinning, turning, you know, that there might be kind of some – Reflection starting to happen of, you know, like remember you taught us once that in Midrasha, that mercy means when you have power and you don't exert it, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and they didn't show mercy when they had power. Mm -hmm. But now that's what they're asking for.
2: Right. they're, they're, They're not asking. They're actually they're asking for food. Right, they're actually they're not asking for mercy. Yeah,
0: but, but no, 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 because even if they don't know who Yosef is, just he's some vizier of Egypt, but like he needs to have mercy. There's there's no reason for them for him to give out food when there is a famine next door that could come to his land or not. Right. Who are these jokers? What does he care? It would only come from mercy that he would even give the food.
2: Right, and and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make your point further, and then I'm gonna fight with myself uh right like he he is you know in terms of the idea of of mercy having power and and not exerting it once joseph comes to power he subjugates everyone right he basically subjugates all of egypt um to 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 stock up on the food right this is this is not a a benevolent leader who comes in he's not a particularly nice guy as the second in command and I got, I got, I got a little bit of a softer spot for Joseph here. I, I I, re- I really do. I, I got a softer spot for Joseph. And I think in terms of the brothers too. Like, yeah, they screwed up. They totally did. And most of the time, when people apologize, it's not motivated out of a hundred percent goodness of their heart because they wake up in the morning and a light bulb went on. Um, it's like, oh, man, I really should apologize for that thing from 20 years ago. Um, and and there's some comments in the chat, which people, I don't know if folks here have seen it and people listening definitely can't see, in terms of the hereditary nature of this stuff, right? Paula made a comment about how, you know, the brothers didn't get this out of nothing, right? Like, the that Yaakov pitted them against each other. And where did Yaakov get that from? Well, from his dad, too, right? Like, this is not a healthy family system, folks. Uh, there's there's some there's some pretty um, rough inherited patterns going on here, and I think that uh, oh mm, apparently Rabbi Schatz wrote about it in her Taste of Torah last week, which Indeed. obviously I voraciously read and just seem to have momentarily forgotten. How could I have?
4: Um,
2: I'll, I just want to say one one more thing. on am sort of like what what motivates an apology. Um, or a change of action. There, there is sort of. Um, sometimes you will hear around, like the the twelve step community or the the recovery community, that you can only get sober for yourself. Right, you can't do it for anyone else. It just has to be for you. I disagree completely. I don't think that's true at all. I, I think I think you have to want to. But if you want to get sober because otherwise your spouse is about to leave you, or because you're tired of being. A bad kid or a bad parent or whatever it is, that can be a powerful motivator. And that's okay, right? It's okay to have extrinsic motivation if it causes a real shift in behavior. I, I think that's okay. Um, and I want to, I, 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 so I'm pushing back a little bit on the why aren't the brothers more automatically sincere in their apology? Because because I think, you know, people can um, get pushed towards chuva. For all kinds of reasons, and oh my gosh, three different hands went up. They also saying. don't
1: know that it's him yet, right? So we have to be a little bit more compassionate in terms of the apology because once they do know that it's him next week, no spoilers, you know, they're going to have a very different reaction. They don't know that it's him yet, so they're just they're internally um, not even really apologizing, just acknowledging right now. But then once they know right, that, which it's is him, what it's has
2: to the- surface for the process to to unfold, right?
1: I'm I'm, I'm agreeing with you.
2: Yeah. It's about time you did.
1: Yeah, I know. It takes a it takes a while. Okay, Renee. A year
2: and a, a year plus later, Rabbi Shot finally agreed with me about something.
6: Was that you Sound like the brothers.
3: He was a little cocky. Joseph was a little cocky to, from the get go to begin with, like before all these sorot happened. He was growing up with them before they threw him in the pit, and he's his responding right now is also a little bit cocky.
1: I mean, he's he has. Uh, the ability to be right because he's in charge he has power so so he's he's I I know I keep using this term but he's playing a game right he's playing the game of I'm going to show that I have this power and I'm going to do to you in similar ways what you did to me and then I'm going to reveal myself to you but I think that that's if it's coming across as cockiness I think that's that might or he doesn't
2: know any better and he's just doing what he's learned
6: yeah, that's possible.
2: That too.
6: That's okay, Karen. Um, uh, I just wanted to say something about doing something for another, yeah. you know, quitting, rehab, all that. Yeah. I get that that could be part of the uh, bottom. You know, people are leaving you and all, so, so. But I also think that if you don't, then switch over to I need to do this for me. And the first time you're pissed off at the person who made you go, you light up. You have your drink. In other words, it's a, it becomes this not a good thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree that the people around you will send you someplace, but you've got to take ownership yep. of, of being and living there. Agreed. Rebecca? Um,
5: I'm not quite sure how to, how to actually um, say what I'm thinking. So it might come out confused, but, um, I think the, the element of karma here is sort of, um, is not, is confusing for me, I guess, because first of all, on the one hand, they are saying, you know, we're, you know, we're gonna, we're getting punished because of what we've done. Um, on the other hand, why did Joseph get punished? And why does he not get punished for doing what he's doing right now? Because it really is a very cruel thing that he ends up doing. You know, this is just the first step. What he later does with Benjamin is is, is even worse, right? Yeah. yeah. So I I kind of feel like there's supposed to be here a message about karma, but then it's not consistent. And so it's sort of I guess I'm just confused. I don't know if this is a PCA or a comment. Um about this. Um also it's not clear who is punishing right. the brothers. You know, if this is sort of just nature's way of getting what you know, what goes around comes around, or if there's a real there's somebody um punishing.
1: I mean, I think to the, to the point of karma, I think if our Torah, specifically Genesis, had elements of karma written in, it would be an even more messed up story than it is because there are just so many characters. I mean, starting with Cain and Abel, right? Well, starting with Eve, right? If there, were, if karma was involved in those, in in the repercussions of those stories, we wouldn't get anywhere. So the way that I like to think about Genesis is that less karma and more so um, like familial lessons, right? The way that we see different families impacting the way that they create family, um, whether that's being barren to having children or sibling rivalry to to just general um, animosity and and not being able to find um common ground through family as opposed to just finding differences and separating yourselves like Jacob and Esau right there's there's so much in our and the story specifically again in Genesis that that make us think oh well shouldn't this have just happened and you're right that that this part of the story seems to be similar to karma in that it's cyclical but I think that it's it's still Joseph trying to teach this lesson to his siblings that that is not necessarily um trying to hurt them right i'll give rabbi shapiro that that benefit in terms of being kind to joseph i don't think that he's trying to do anything to hurt his siblings in a karma type way i think he's just trying to show them when you take something away this is what it feels like or when you treat your brother this way this is these are now the feelings that i've had that you that you will now be feeling um i'm not sure that any of that made so much sense but but that's the way that i would categorize the Genesis stories that you're right. So, so many of which should have karma elements to them.
2: Well, I, w- I would, I would take out, I, I mean, I would, I think swap out the language of karma, even though interestingly, like we'll hear about how Joseph says doing a lot of spoiler alerts. I'm I'm sorry for the people who haven't seen Joseph and the amazing technical or dream code. We have ruined this show for you. And or, not just or read because
1: the, or read the Torah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've also ruined it with my singing. Um, But I I would, you know, because Joseph later on says, Oh, don't worry. All of this happened for a reason. Right. So, so Joseph himself, the character will have a, a very strong sense of why all this happened. Um, But what, what I push back on in terms of the karma piece is it sort of disembodies it. Right. Is it, is it takes, the the actors in the story I don't mean like the performers but the people who are taking action in the story it lets them off the hook right because it's just sort of this oh well karma comes you know goes around comes right like no these are people who are making choices right these are people who are making choices and they might be dysfunctional choices and they might be choices based on unhealthy relationship patterns that have been laid down now across a couple of generations um, but they are people making choices. Um, who are kind of struggling with like, what are logical consequences here? Is it possible to rebuild relationships here? What should happen now that my brothers are in front of me and they cast me aside, but now they're here and I have the power, what am I supposed to do? That's a tough question, right? And I don't think it's just about what well, karma comes along and sort of dictates what's happened. I, th- I think Joseph is in a challenging spot. I'm not saying he makes the right choice, but I think it's a it's a tough spot to be in, to be confronted with the men who got rid of you are now prostrate in front of you, begging for your help. That's a tough spot to be in. That's a complicated position to be in. Um, and going back to the question that was asked about um, why does Joseph cry, the, the normative rabbinic response basically seems to be it's because, because he heard um, that they regret what they did, right? Which makes sense, right? That that he hasn't heard that, he hasn't known that for all these years, and he finally hears it. Swarno makes an, a really interesting comment. Swarno says it's because he sees they're upset, which is really interesting. That that amidst all of this, that he still just resonates on that basic brotherly level. That when he sees his brothers are upset, he's upset too. Um, and I think that that lends a really interesting um kind of perspective to this scene um in terms of joseph's experience of it, right? When are the moments that that we that we're so upset that we can't help but cry because the people who we care about are upset you know that that signifies a really deep level of connection, really interesting based on pretty much everything we've talked about so far this morning um,
0: also
1: very interesting that that the way in which. And maybe I'll talk about this tomorrow on Beitenu. I don't know. Um, but the way in which he recognizes and throw
2: that, out the hours of preparation you've already put into what you're talking about tomorrow, Rabbi Schatz?
1: I put no preparation into what I'm doing tomorrow I'm yet. But, to but it'll, that doesn't mean that it won't be good. I will prepare later. Um, but the 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 fact that Joseph can recognize his brothers so quickly, but the brothers can't recognize Joseph. um, I wonder if recognition is not so much like, oh, you look that way, but more so like an emotional attachment, right? When there are many people, I may or may not be one of these people, for whom if you cry in front of me, um, if it's something that I'm connected to for the reason that you are crying, it's very hard for me to not, to not also get emotional, sometimes there are people who cry in front of me, and for whom the reason for their crying is not something that I am um, emotionally connected to and so so that is different. But when I can put myself into the shoes of the person who is emoting um, very often i i I feel that way as well, especially with my family. If either of my parents cry i'm a lost i'm a lost cause I also cry, and same with my siblings. Anytime my siblings did anything, like gave a speech, got up on a stage, blew their nose, anything they did, I was known for cry. I was just so proud of them that I would just cry. Um,
2: just like a random stage, like in the middle of a park, or <laughs> no, if
1: they were like in a performance. Oh. Like, But but I do think that's a very different kind of recognition and interesting that the brothers were so far away from Joseph, not physically, but emotionally so distant from Joseph that they couldn't recognize him. But Joseph immediately, maybe because he was still thinking about them or was still impacted or traumatized or whatever by them, that he could recognize them and therefore had that that real empathic moment uh, with and for them.
2: I could totally totally deflate that by saying, A, he has now grown up and they're, they were already adults, and B, he probably looked all Egyptified and they look basically the same. But it's a lovely sentiment, so I won't deflate it by saying that. Even if
1: things. he looked Egyptified, like, which, it's not a word. Um no. <laughs> If I wear different clothes tomorrow, I'm gonna to still look the same way. Today, yeah, but he so. probably
2: got the whole Egyptian haircut and the eye stuff and the.
1: Okay. Uh,
2: Why? That's all I- of the movies I've seen about the biblical time period are completely accurate. I think.
1: <laughs> all right. Do you want to put a? Do, this is your topic. So do you want to um? Shabbat Shalom us out.
2: Rabbi Shantz, even if you were to ever. Who's, who's
3: doing the ribbon?
2: Rabbi Shantz. That's what I'm saying. Rabbi shouts, What even if you were to ever cry me a river, JT, don't worry. Oh, very good. You've got a friend, old school JT. Shabbat shalom.
0: You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts.